In this series, we've been talking about some of the innovation projects Cisco has taken part in over the past few years. So far, we've covered everything from flood defense to Wi-Fi on trains, connected cows and smart cities. But what we've not really talked about yet is the huge amount of work that goes into each of our projects before they even get underway. In this episode of Macro, we'll be digging into Cisco's unique approach to getting innovation projects off the ground. By their very nature, the innovation projects that Cisco takes on are huge, complex operations. We're trying to solve some of the world's biggest challenges after all. Even the process of identifying those challenges is a big task in itself. Sometimes it's a case of customers, partners or the government coming forward with a specific problem that needs solving. Sometimes a new tech trend will inspire a new solution or way of doing things. Cisco's own broader innovation strategy can play a role too. And occasionally it all starts with the spark of one bright idea. But most often, it's a combination of all these things. Cisco's Director of Innovation for Europe, Middle East and Africa, Nick Chrysos, refers to each of these things as innovation triggers. We actually use four, actually better if I say three plus one triggers. Um, first, we're looking into the major problems that they exist at the moment, and they are defined either from our customers or from the government or from uh, things that we see around the world. The second part is major technology trends, uh, from blockchain to artificial intelligence to autonomous vehicles. These are uh, all technology trends that they uh, inspire for amazing solutions of the future. Uh, the third one is major strategic uh, directions that we get from Cisco. Uh, as a company, we have a, a very key um, set of, uh, of targets and uh, we have a very specific strategy of where we're going in the future. And that does define the elements that we want to get involved. And then the fourth one, the one that said the, the three plus one, is amazing ideas. Sometimes being part of this ecosystem, we see technology, we see ideas from small companies, from universities that really provide the opportunity to create something very, very different. So if you combine all of this together, uh, you can come up with some major projects that can uh, create some real solutions for the future. The UK government's industrial strategy, as well as Cisco's Country Digital Acceleration Programme, both play a key role in shaping which projects Cisco gets involved in. The industrial strategy is aimed at boosting productivity by helping businesses to create jobs and increase the earning power of people throughout the UK. It involves considerable investment in skills, industries and infrastructure, as well as an effort to take on grand challenges. These challenges are defined by the government as the society-changing opportunities and industries of the future, where we can build on our emerging and established strengths to become a world leader. The first four challenges have set a high bar, as the UK sets out to lead the way in the AI and data revolution, mobility, the shift to clean growth, and meeting the needs of an ageing society. At Cisco, we like a challenge. The, the digital strategy from UK provides a major set of triggers to what projects we get involved. It's a definition of the key areas that the UK as a country is, uh, is focusing on, and that becomes a driver of what projects we decide to focus. Um, the second part is about uh, the, the Country Digital Acceleration Fund, which is an internal fund that we use in Cisco, uh, which is designed to really provide, uh, for us internally at least, the, 
the, the funding to enable us to get involved in these projects. As I mentioned before of where the money are coming from, uh, Cisco as a large enterprise has to do much funding with the government. We need to match everything that the government puts in the project also from, from Cisco. And the country digital acceleration program in Cisco is designed to do exactly that. It's enabling the country to become more digital uh, by helping us to really make these projects a reality. Regular macro listeners will recall a project called Conserve. In episode three, we spoke with the team responsible for developing Conserve's state-of-the-art disaster response systems up in Scotland. For Nick, this project also serves as an example of what happens when all the pieces of the innovation jigsaw align at once, and those innovation triggers fire in unison. Uh, Conserve uh, was a project that we tackled about uh, three years ago, uh, and uh, it was focusing on flooding. Uh, flooding is a major problem that the UK faces every year. Conserve did not focus into stopping the floods, but focus into how do we reduce the damages. So we addressed the real problem and we it's, it's part of, uh, of creating a technology that will really save lives, uh, part of creating technology that can have a real impact and then putting in there everything from artificial intelligence to data aggregation to IoT and monitoring, uh, pretty much every technology trend that was available at the time bringing the universities to evaluate, uh, bringing some brilliant ideas from small startup companies like the Bronze Labs, that they were able to create applications that they were very intuitive without any training. Put it all together to really create a project that really, you can say it's a good representation of all the different triggers of how to create a solution for the future. Nick makes this complicated process sound much more simple than it is in reality being able to align all those innovation triggers and move from the spark of an idea to something that eventually looks like a fully-fledged innovation project takes a specific kind of expertise. Or in Cisco's case, a specific kind of expert. This is, this is down to, you know, to, to Peter Sherman. Uh, and, and it's not somebody like Peter Sherman. It is, it is down to, to Peter. Peter comes from, from, uh, from a public sector background. Uh, he, he joined Cisco um, four or five years ago, really um, uh, not, not very comfortable in the corporate kind of environment of, of Cisco, but managing to overcome the complexities of the internal processes and then bring with him the the understanding of the of the public sector the understanding of the of the country initiatives and the ability to really align people to a common goal uh, he brings universities startups he brings the the government he puts some amazing proposals and i have to say um the key ingredient behind all the projects that we have won is peter and his team now let's do it we're recording in all directions so my name is Peter Sherman. I'm head of co-innovation for Cisco's innovation centres uh, across Europe. And that means I'm responsible for finding good ideas and uh, figuring out how we do them. Finding good ideas and figuring out how we do them. Again, that would be a simple way of describing something that in reality is really quite complicated. As Nick said, Peter's public sector experience helps him identify where innovation can be an effective force for good, whether that be in a social, environmental, technological or commercial sense. A lot of our projects are, are funded by 
uh, by UK government, or part funded at least, and a number have public sector customers and agencies and, uh, and others within them. And the truth is, if you're, if you're innovating uh, with that, uh, with, with, with government money, you, you need to find angles that are going to provide value for money for tax for taxpayers. So uh, there's, there's partly a, you need to be able to demonstrate the public good and the social good of the innovation that you're doing if you want to be able to work uh, with, the, with that type of funding. Um, but equally, uh, you, know, you find that there's application of ideas and creativity and innovation into the public sphere or that will work with private enterprise, but can equally be, be applied to the public sector. And, uh, and so whoever you, you want to test that idea with, whether that's private or public, uh, if you apply it in the public domain, then you have not just the private value that applies to that, that, that entity, but also the wider public, social, environmental good uh, that you can, you can start to, start to investigate. Uh, and that takes you onto those kind of societal challenges. As Peter says, working in collaboration with public sector organisations and their audiences offers a multitude of new opportunities for purpose-driven innovation. The breadth of projects that Cisco has led on to date is testament to this, and new adventures in 5G, connected cars and vehicle-to-grid technology show our growing ambitions. But when you take on challenges as big as these, it quickly becomes clear that it's not possible to do everything by yourself. So once a challenge has been identified, it's time to assemble a team from an array of different organisations that can make the project a success. Here's Peter to tell you more. This is obviously a collaborative effort. So uh, generally what we're interested in is having a combination of the following types of partner in in a project. Uh, Number one, we need the end customer. Uh, We need to have a a customer that's going to implement whatever it is we build, be able to uh, provide that real world experience and feedback uh, for, for the idea that we're working on. We likely need a Cisco channel partner, uh, someone who can do implementation and if it works, is then well set to be able to take that on uh, and and commercialise what we do. We need SMEs uh, and startups. Uh, Often they are the creatives. Uh, They are people with the edge innovations and applications that can be, uh, that that are going to be the thing that makes the difference. And we'll try and find a way to to bring in as as much of that energy and creativity as possible. And then we need uh, uh, universities, uh, we need academia, we need often we need subject matter expertise to be able to uh, talk about and, and get the leading edge thinking and innovation uh, into a project. Um, equally, we really enjoy working with business schools. Business schools can provide uh, a wonderful point of, of insight and validation for the work that you do. So how does this work in reality? So let me, let, me, let me give you a concrete example of, uh, of how that type of partnership comes together. So SWIFT, Superfast Wi-Fi on Trains, we wanted to be able to demonstrate that technology, prove the revenue case for train operators, prove the, uh, the productivity case for government uh, technically, and technically you'll see that the solution worked. Now to do that, we, we need partners, we need help. If what Peter's describing here sounds familiar, that's because we covered Project SWIFT earlier this year on the second episode of Macro. Regular listeners will recall that the project was aimed at demonstrating the viability of high-speed Wi-Fi on UK railways and exploring some of the business cases that might grow out of this improved connectivity. If that doesn't sound familiar, make sure you take a listen. But before that, let's get back to Peter. 
So we needed a train operator, uh, and we went out and uh, eventually secured ScotRail uh, to be the train operator as the end customer. We needed a Cisco partner uh, to be able to do the trackside deployment and run the networks, and that was level three. Uh, we then needed the the edge innovation, the, the applications we needed. In this instance, we needed people who could come in and demonstrate what you could do with the Wi-Fi when good Wi-Fi when you had that available in a train. Uh, and to do that, we had Witos, who at the time were an Idea London uh, S startup, uh, and CGI. Um, and then we needed the, the creativity of thought of, of the academic world. Um, and we brought in a business school partner, uh, and we had a, a, an MBA group, actually, uh, in the end. Um, both do surveys of, of, of passengers on platforms, um, but equally have them do, uh, do their own creative exercise. What else could you use this for? A list of over 100 different use cases for Wi-Fi on a train, um, which was a, a fabulous exercise and a validation of the, of the, the volume of, uh, of, of uses and purpose that, that this would have. So you've got that, that point of collaboration there across all the different partner types. Now, as Cisco, we could not do that alone. Uh, there's just there's too many things there that aren't us. It has to be a partnership. That's the only way you're going to be able to demonstrate uh, demonstrate that idea. Now, as much as that's partnership, obviously uh, outside of the company, it, it, we also need partnerships inside the company. Uh, so, uh, for example, Swift was uh, a project that brought together the the services team. It brought together the the enterprise sales team and, and the public sector sales team. Uh, it brought together uh, uh, core engineering and the vertical solutions team in uh, in San Jose, um, and it it brought them all around the idea of bringing Swift to life uh, as a as a commercial proposition. Indeed, it got capital involved. We had business development, you, and we need to build that partnership of interested and 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 uh, skin in the game partners internally uh, as well to be able to to be able to bring the innovation to life. But for Peter. Putting together a team involves more than just collaborating with different organisations. It's about identifying particular kinds of people too. Cisco's deep connections with the UK's innovation ecosystem means being exposed to bright ideas or innovative new solutions on a near daily basis. Peter looks for people who are able to use what he calls associative thinking to unlock the full potential of these ideas. So you combine a volume of ideas, a volume of experience with the ability to do associative thinking. Uh, and associative thought is simply being able to understand how you can take ideas and concepts from one domain and apply them in another. Uh, and a lot of our innovation projects and a lot of, indeed, a lot of creativity is, is based on that. It's saying, oh, that works really well over here. What if I applied that over there? For example, when we put Witos and CGI into Swift as application partners, they didn't do anything on a train. That wasn't their business. Their business was how they did Wi-Fi well in hospitality and in retail and, uh, and in, in fixed locations. Uh, and we said, look, well, no one does Wi-Fi well on a train, so there are no application companies that do these things well. So we've got to go and find the best areas in other domains and be able to bring them through and say, come and demonstrate in another, in another environment. Uh, and so that gets us to uh, a, a, an associative thought. But that's not all. Peter also looks for people who demonstrate another characteristic, what he calls low threshold behaviours. This thinking is based on the threshold models of collective behaviour developed by Mark Granovetta, and Peter believes it's a crucial aspect of any innovation project. What we try to find is people who uh, exhibit what, what's called low threshold behaviours. This is based on the work of, uh, of Mark Granovetta's 
he uh, looked at why people riot. And what he said was actually there's a, it's almost a cascade effect. The first person riots because they, they are low threshold behaviour individuals. They do not need any social reinforcement to do the thing they want to do. So if they want to riot, they're going to riot. doesn't matter whether everyone's rioting or no one's rioting. They will start a riot. And then you get a next step down where all they need is a validation of one other person in the crowd doing something, and they will then demonstrate that behaviour. And so it cascades down throughout the entire crowd until eventually people who would never in their right mind riot are left standing there thinking, well, I need to do the thing that everyone else is doing, otherwise I stand out, therefore I will riot. Uh, Now, in innovation, we're not rioting, uh, but we need people who are willing to do the thing that's right rather than the thing that everyone else says they need to do. So I need people who demonstrate low threshold behaviours. And as a team, that's what we ask of ourselves. To be, to be able to advocate for an idea, to argue, to articulate, to, pers- to persuade, you, you have to be able to, uh, uh, to, to win people over to the thing that you're doing, um, regardless of everyone else says that it doesn't work. You know what? It's our job to win them over, to prove that this does work uh, and this is how we're going to do it. It's probably worth reiterating that no, we're not in the business of starting riots. But once upon a time, starting riots was presumably a new thing and we are interested in doing new things. The word innovation itself has its roots in the Latin novus, meaning new. And it might sound obvious, but this pursuit of the novus, or to use a more up-to-date term, the element of novelty, underpins everything that Cisco's innovation team does. I mean, it's important from, a, from the perspective of, of being of being innovation that there is an element of, of novelty. Uh, and that, uh, that novelty comes comes sometimes from that associative thought and and being able to create something entirely new sometimes it's actually it's not a new idea but it's it's the implementation of the idea in a very different way that creates say a new business model for that idea Uh, and so whatever it is we're doing you know if there's no novelty to it then it's not an innovation exercise so we've got to be able to understand uh, that we are moving we are advancing the idea forward But just like a sports coach preparing for a big game, picking your players is only one part of building a team. You need to put the work in before kickoff to ensure everyone is properly prepared for the task at hand. And it's no different when ramping up for a new innovation project. For Peter and Nick, building and maintaining momentum is crucial. From the project starts from the point that we put together the consortium and the, uh, the, the idea and the proposal together. It goes through the element of uh, of getting the funding, and after we succeed, the project the project is able to start. At that point, there is something that we call the negotiation phase. We need to cover intellectual property, liability. We need to cover management, funding. We need to put in place contracts that there are tens of pages long in order to make sure that every partner in the project is going to be able to uh, to, to cope, uh, is going to be able to survive the project, and is going to be able to really get at the end uh, what they are looking for. 
So it's about building the the project, all putting all the the ducks in a row, putting all the elements in place before even the project starts, and then starting it with a bump, starting it with a with an explosion. You need the the messaging. You need almost the the, the color palette of how how it's gonna look like. You need to be able to say to people what you're actually building, and all this have actually to be done before the project starts. And this makes it very, very difficult, specifically for the smaller kind of partners in the project. The project only gets funded for the time that it that it leaves, which is after it, after the kickoff to the end. So any work that you do before the project is not funded. Uh, and this is the the kind of the game that is that 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 is very difficult sometimes to to do with all these different projects. With no funding at the beginning, you need to reach at a point that you can start immediately running. And this becomes extremely difficult for the startups. It becomes extremely difficult for the universities. Uh, it becomes extremely difficult for any public sector organization that they cannot even hire people until the project starts. So 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 it's critical but it's difficult and it's necessary. Crucial to what we do is momentum. When we're putting a partnership together, it's all about building momentum. It's about enthusing another partner about an idea and then making an assumption that they're, they're, they're in, they're going to do it, and we're on to the next partner, and then we're building a plan, and then we're putting together the, the bid framework, and then we're putting together the content, and then we get it across the line. And... We need to use the deadlines and things and everything in the funding calls that we go for uh, in order to to create that pressure and that challenge to get people to make commitments and to to generate that momentum behind an idea. And when we start a project, it's exactly the same. We are after that momentum. The truth is we, we need to hit the ground running with that momentum. We need all the partners to become evangelists for what we're doing we need to put in place the the, the communications plan that says this is how we're going to do it we got to get the right sponsors and, and 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 buy-in and i mean buy-in not acquiescence i'm interested in buying people that actually want this to work that aren't just interested in allowing it to happen i need commitment uh and getting that support and then giving those messages to people putting it in the hands of people who are who are able to communicate and and argue and articulate uh, and so the idea of momentum strategy uh, is is all about that 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 progression of, of, of winning over mindshare and being able to socialize and and, and familiarize the idea sufficiently that it becomes it becomes the norm that it becomes accepted uh, and is now part of uh, common wisdom Nick and Peter both agree that a lot of this is to do with being able to overcome hurdles, especially those that haven't been anticipated. When you're working in innovation and pursuing previously untested ideas, it's almost inevitable that things won't always go to plan. Being able to adapt, and perhaps more importantly, keep going in the face of adversity, is so important to seeing a project over the line. And perhaps more than anything, Peter says, innovation is driven by belief. Innovation for us is about advocacy. It's about advocacy for ideas. It's about saying, yes, we know that this idea hasn't been done before, maybe isn't popular. It's our job to make it popular. We have to be the advocates and the evangelists for the things that we do. And, uh, and that requires, a, that requires a, you know, a discipline and a strength and a type of personality. Uh, because, uh, for example, on Swift, uh, it took three conversations just with our team internally to convince them that we should do it. 
And every objection they raised was extremely relevant and, and, and important, uh, but it wasn't a good enough reason not to do it. So we've got to keep at it. We've got to convince them. And it took th- three conversations before they said, OK, let's, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Those might be the most fitting words you've heard so far in this episode. They represent the belief, drive, risk, reward, endeavour, creativity and everything else that typifies an innovation project. And every project we've spoken about in this series and will speak about in future episodes began with someone having the belief and drive to say, let's go for it. We'll be back in the new year with more innovation stories, so make sure to subscribe to Macro wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, let's go for it.